Well, so good to celebrate our Lord's work with you. My name's Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. If we haven't met, I'd love to connect with you after the service. Great to be together today. I want to thank you. Um, I was gone last weekend, and uh, first, I guess I, I thank Pastor Randy. What a, a wonderful job he did on last week's message in the Tower of Babel. Uh, that was a great message. If you haven't had a chance to listen to last Sunday's message, please go online or on our Facebook page or at carneyefree.com and listen to that. It was an exceptional message last week on our great need for God, and boy, it really intersects with our story, doesn't it, that we all, I mean, at Tower of Babel, they wanted to make a name for themselves. <laughs> That's the fundamental human issue. We just want to make a name for ourselves. Your name ain't good enough, God. Let me make a name for myself. That, that's the issue. Randy did an exceptional job last week, and uh, while I was gone, I was tending to a family need and uh, had a funeral in my family, and uh, I just heard from so many of you, and I, I just want to say thank you. I love this church. So very grateful for this church and the kindness of people here and the way uh, folks love each other and look out to the world and, and love those around us as well, and, and I certainly received that from you all last week, so thank you. We're in this journey together in which we're looking at God's story and how it intersects with our story, and it's 40 weeks through the Bible. It's basically our teaching plan for 2018, and we'll take a couple breaks at different times where we'll do uh, some brief series for four or five weeks. But this is really it, and the goal for this series, my prayer for this series, what I pray for you on a regular basis, is that we would all take a step toward Christ in our journey through the Scriptures, and we would have a greater knowledge and understanding of the Bible and how it applies to our lives. That wherever you are, if you're a seasoned expert, so to speak. None of us are really experts in the Bible. I certainly am not. But if you're, you're very seasoned in the Scriptures, you still have an opportunity to learn it more this year. If you're newer to this, you can feel like perhaps it's less arbitrary or random or difficult to understand than you once thought. And if you're a seeker that's simply here asking questions and you're not sure well, what you believe, thank you for joining us on this journey. Thank you for coming here. We know there's so many different things, though, that you can do on Sunday morning, especially for the newcomers. We, we welcome you, and we're so glad, though, that you choose to enter into this journey. And, and as you do this reading plan uh, that we've distributed, if you don't yet have it, you can get one out of the information table. But the reading plan, though, that you have takes us through five, six, seven chapters a week, and it gives us the overarching narrative of the Bible that we would be able to understand the Scriptures more and more for ourselves if we take in these messages and we take in these readings and we review what we learn on Sunday morning. Do you believe you can do that? We can do that. God intends for us to understand Him and understand His Word, and so we're excited to do that together here at Carney E. Free. Well, again, last week we, we looked at uh, this basic human dilemma, and this morning uh, the chapter in the Bible is Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, and a couple of references though, that we'll make as well, and we turn a page from the Tower of Babel to the first great patriarch a man named Abraham. You make me hum by myself up here? 
Y'all know that song? Some of y'all who are fortunate to be raised in the church, you know that song. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you, except for the Patriots fans. Let's all praise the Lord. God have mercy on you, Patriots fans. Abraham was a great, great patriarch, great, great man of God, great man of faith. And we'll see a little bit of that this morning. Uh, he prayed fervently for his family. And he prayed fervently for people who didn't know God and weren't part of his family. And he interceded on behalf of people who were doing terrible things. And he was a courageous man. Abraham took a step of faith upon God's call on his life. That's hard to imagine. He was a courageous man. And he was a devoted husband and a devoted father. And he stuck with his bride through years, decades of infertility and disappointment. He was a great man in so many ways, and yet he was also a man who sinned greatly. If you know his story, he also sinned greatly. He was a man who on one particular occasion was exposed to harm, and as he was exposed to harm, he decided to protect himself and leave his wife out there. Oops. Fellas. Take note, don't ever do that. Okay, but he did that. It was a terrible, terrible decision. He was another man who struggled with faith and doubt at different times. And he failed his wife at other times. And when God didn't operate according to his time frame, according to his schedule, Abraham and his wife took God's will into their own hands. And they said, let me make it happen on my own right now. Let me do it my way. Anyone else ever done that? Okay, we've all probably done that where we say, I don't like your time frame, God. I'm going to do it my way. And, and Abraham failed that way too. He was a man much like us. He was a mixed bag. But one of the things that's kind of unique about Abraham compared to many of us is while we have this tendency to fall backwards and keep on falling backwards, Abraham had this way of falling forwards. He failed, but he failed forwards. And the way he did that is, though he made great mistakes, though he failed his family at times, he failed his God at times, he failed forward because he consistently was contrite. The Bible says, this is the one I esteem. He or she who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. And this was true of Abraham. He failed, but he was contrite. He repented. He fell on his face. He admitted his failure. He came face to face in the mirror, and he recognized, I, I need God's forgiveness. Here's my failure. Would you please help God? Well, this morning as we open up his story, we're going to start in Genesis 12, and that's where Abraham's narrative begins. And then we'll look at a couple different highlights as his story goes through 14 chapters. We hope to get you done in time for the game this afternoon. Uh, we're not going to cover it all today, but we are going to hit some important highlights, some foundational truths for us. And I think in the, in the way, as we get through this, we'll see through Abraham's story some key ideas for our story related to God's covenant 
God's condition and God's commission. God's covenant, his condition, and his commission. We'll start here with God's covenant as given to Abraham. A covenant's a pretty big deal. This isn't language that we use much today in our culture. We use more of the word promise or contract or commitment. But a covenant is a really, really big deal. It's this idea of two parties coming together in more than a wish, more than a hope, more even than a commitment. They're coming together and they say, we are binding ourselves together through thick and thin for good here now. It's like uh, two two two-by-fours coming together and you use a really strong resin, a really strong epoxy to bind them together. And if you were to break those two-by-fours apart, what would happen to them? They splinter all over the place. You get a piece of this one stuck on this one and a piece of this one stuck on this one. Sounds like divorce, right? Okay? That's what happens. And uh, a covenant is this idea, no, we're going to bind together and stick together because you can't ever split each other apart. Some of us know that. Well, we've, we, we've, some of us have been through that. But, but that's a covenant that for, for thick and thin, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, Susie Boykin, I'm yours. So I said 13 years ago to her, and I meant it. Now, humans will fail. God forgives. And, and some of us have failed, and, and there's forgiveness there in that. But, but I, want you to tell, I, I want you to hear that God's covenant never fails. God's promise never fails. Each of us will fail in different areas, but God will never fail his covenant. And his covenant promise here with Abram that he makes in Genesis 12 goes like this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth shall be blessed through you. Genesis 12. Once again, up to this point where we've been, is we've looked at a, a number of key uh, important ideas in the early pages of Genesis, and I want to give a quick summary of how we got to the point that we are right now and where it goes far from here. So on your insert, you'll see a number of images. You'll also see these up on the screen, and, and these are the major items that we've covered the, thus far. If you remember these words, then you have these categories you can hold on to. God does this glorious work of creating the heavens and the earth. That's the first episode in Genesis 1, 1 and 2. And he gives us his image and his likeness, which are synonymous terms, that you are made in the likeness of God. There's something in you that reflects the glory of God. There's something in every person that you meet that is gloriously splendored as you reflect the image and likeness of God. But we fell, didn't we? And not just our initial ancestors, also us, have all fallen and fell short of God's great glory and his standards. You think about our own standards of life. Can anyone say that you have followed your own standards 100% of the time? I certainly cannot. It makes sense that my standards would be much lower than an all-perfect, all-knowing, all-loving, spotless God. His standards would be much higher. 
That's the fall. We haven't, fought, we haven't lived up to our own standards, let alone God's much higher standards. And yet, even so, part of God's design is that he would offer forgiveness again and again and again. Then you have the flood, and then you have Babel. And those are the main uh, five uh, words that get us through these first 11 chapters. L- let's say these together. If, if you're teaching your kids, you can use these words to, uh, to instruct them. Ready? Creation. Creation. Image. Fall. Flood, Babel, okay? Thanks to the six of you who said it with me. Okay, these five words bring us through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Then a sixth word would be patriarchs. Say that, patriarchs. And Abraham is the first of the patriarchs. That really takes you through the end of the book of Genesis. You can have a number of different patriarchs that are going to be shown throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. Now, people ask me from time to time, when you look at the mess that humanity has made, Adrian, how do you stay optimistic about people? And I do. I stay optimistic about people. I think that's necessary for me and my job. But people will say, you hear stuff all the time in your office that's really, really messy. How do you stay optimistic? What's well, this. I know what humanity is, and I know what God says about people. And humanity, I'm not real fond of. But people, I really, really love. Okay, you hear that? Humanity is utterly warped. And we won't be able to change humanity. We can't untwist how twisted it is. But what we can do is stay optimistic about individual people. Look for the good in individual people and look for opportunities to be difference makers in individual people's lives. Because what God wants to do is use everyday, ordinary people whose hearts are totally devoted and given over to him. And God finds such a man in Abraham. There's a number of different places in the Bible where it says God is looking for men and women whose hearts are after him. One of them is 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He looks for someone who is a woman of integrity, a woman who is devoted to God and says, I will work with that. He looks for men of integrity who are not duplicitous and says, I will work with that. Someone who is committed to me, and he finds such a man of integrity and devotion in Abram. So let's take another look at this Genesis 12, sevenfold promise that God gives to Abraham. You see it again on the screen here, and let me just speak to a couple of these ideas. In my Bible, I've underlined all these words that you see up here, so on your phone or in your Bible, yeah, you might do the same, but this is a sevenfold blessing that God gives to Abraham as he's establishing this covenant, this promise with him and his wife Sarah. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I'm going to build out of you, Abram, a wonderful nation that will one day be Israel. And I will bless you, Abram. I personally care about you, and I'll bring blessings and goodness to you and Sarah. I will make your name great, so great that many, many, many years from now, little kids will learn in Sunday school how to sing a little ditty after you. Your name will be that great. It'll be that famous, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those Who bless you? I'll stand with them. But those who curse you, those who would bully you, those who would be against you and try to squash you, guess what? I'm going to stand against them. I'm going to defend you, he says to Abram. 
And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I'm going to use you not just for yourself, but you'll be a blessing to, to other nations. Then it goes on in verses 6 and 7 to say that I'm also going to give you a plot of land. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. To your offspring, I will give this great land. You think about the magnitude of this blessing. It's like, oh man, I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to give you a great big family. And this was the prize of almost every culture across earth until the past 50, 60 years is a great big family. And especially in the ancient Near East, to be told you have a great big family, that was a prize. I'm going to give you a plot of land. I'm going to stand against those who would bully you. And uh, I'm going to use you for a great purpose, to bring blessing to others. Talk about living the dream, right? But if you've read the book of Genesis, you know that it didn't start out too well for Abraham and Sarah, did it? They get this great promise, and they're looking forward to this large family. But the promise was followed by infertility. And for decades, they're struggling through barrenness and prayers. And God, when are you going to come through on the things that you said you would do? And I can't imagine the number of sleepless nights and the number of tears shed by this couple. Such that, after many years of this, Sarah says, dang it, let's take matters into our own hands. And he, she finds the help, the family help a servant, an employee to Abraham and Sarah, a young lady by the name of Hagar. And she says to Abraham, why don't you lie down with her? And perhaps God will give us a family that way. And Abraham did, and they had a son by the name of Ishmael. And no, this is not a reality TV show. This is the Bible. Some of the Bible is rated R. This is the Bible. But believe it or not, infidelity was not God's plan for blessing this family. Huh, surprise, surprise, newsflash. Decades later, when Abraham and Sarah were still far, far beyond childbearing years, and, and there's Ishmael, but they still don't have a child of their own, and God says, no, that's not what I have in mind. God confirms the covenant to Abraham and Sarah once again, and this time Sarah just, she just laughs at it. She's like, oh, that, that's a, that was, that was old news. God, you've disappointed us. You haven't followed through on your promises. And she laughs at it like a macabre joke or something. So much for living the dream. So much for that big family they were looking forward to. You think about this land that they were looking forward to. Up on the screen, you'll see this map of how far Abram had to travel. Well, when he left the home of his family in Ur to a, a distant and foreign land, this is a very lush area in southern modern-day Iraq by the Persian Gulf. And he goes along the Euphrates River, and he goes all the way up to modern-day Syria and down across modern-day Israel and Palestine and into Egypt. And he's told that down here, after 1,100 miles of walking... This will be the promised land of Canaan that I will give to you. Now, Abram learns that he won't get that promised land now 
To which he probably says, well, I get it like in a, in, a, in a decade? Do you know how long it was? 400 years. It wasn't his kids. It wasn't his grandkids. It wasn't his great-grandkids that got this land that was promised to Abram. It was 400 years later that they would receive this promised land when Joshua and the Israelites cross over the Jordan River to receive it from him. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, I'm, I'm all about teaching my kids. For parents in the room, I'm all about teaching my kids the importance of delayed gratification. You work really hard right now, and you don't expect to get something immediately. Hopefully, someday, you'll receive some reward for the hard work that you put in right now. But don't develop any sense of entitlement that you deserve it now. Right? Anyone? Okay, we're into teaching that. Not instant gratification, delayed gratification. But my word, 400 years? I don't care about a little ditty God. I don't care they're all singing my name. Give me a plot of land. Now the time frame for all of this, I guess I, I understand it's so long ago, it's 2000 BC, that we would be tempted to say, how could this possibly apply to me? But raise your hand with me. Have you ever had to wait for something that you believed God was going to give you? Anyone else? Okay, many of us have been in this pattern of having to wait for something that we believe strongly God was going to give to us. And maybe we didn't hear an audible message like Abraham and Sarah do here. I don't believe we should anticipate that far from God. But we had this nudging, this deep sense, an answer prayer, this whisper, if you will, a silent voice that said, I I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you something. And you've been waiting for a husband or a wife or a child. Or you've been waiting, perhaps, for some fruit to grow on your child. That you've been imparting spiritual seeds to them for a long, long, long time. And you don't see any fruit, and you're still waiting. Or you're waiting for a job that would finally be a match to your skills. The jobs that you've had have not been a match for your skills. And you're waiting. And, and, and make no mistake, there is a great wait to waiting, isn't there? I mean, it's just heavy. None of us wants to wait. But it's interesting to me that what Abraham and Sarah learned here is the thing that all of us need to learn, and it's that the great reward for us won't always be that sevenfold promise that God, pro that God provided to Abraham. He, he was going to provide that but, but the greatest reward that God is going to provide for us is not so much the things that he does for us, it's himself. It's himself. And, and Abraham and Sarah had the great joy of learning this. It even says so in Genesis 15, verse 1. It says, you, my God, are my great shield and my great reward. The Lord is our shield. He is our protector. The Lord is our great reward. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 17. Eternal life is this. He didn't go on to say it's waiting till you die. Eternal life is this, knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's Jesus himself knowing him, growing with him, experiencing him, growing in the fruit of the Spirit as we get to know him more abundantly. That's the reward. 
And whether we see our wants met or not, as Abraham and Sarah did not, at least as it came to that land, God can still be our great reward. This is the covenant promise. Second is the condition. God's condition to Abraham is spoken of uh, in chapter 15. How are people of God in the Old Testament brought into the family of God? Anyone? By faith. By faith. Same way as in the New Testament. They're brought in the family of God by faith, just as we are in the New Testament. Now, they didn't know as much as we know. They didn't know about the Trinity. They didn't know about the cross. They didn't know about the measure of God's love as demonstrated to us through the cross and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But they were still brought into the family of God through faith and love. The gift of salvation by faith is not God's plan B for the world. It's God's plan A for the world. Sometimes you'll hear certain teachers say that God brought people into his family through keeping all of the kosher laws and all of the Ten Commandments and all of that. And it's almost like they're saying uh, people weren't able to live up to the Ten Commandments and because they weren't able to live up to the Ten Commandments, God had to bring a pinch hitter. And his name is Jesus. No, that's not it. That's not proper theology. Proper theology is Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain before the foundations of the world because we all need his grace. And in much the same way as we believe based on what we know, so Abram and Sarah had to believe based on what had been revealed to them. Let me show you Genesis 15, verse 5 and 6. He took him outside, God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can even count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. So at this point, Abram's name is changed to Abraham. Sarai's name is changed to Sarah after the covenant. And he's reaffirming the covenant to, to them and he says, you simply believe, and Abraham believed the Lord, and God credited it to him as righteousness. The word belief there means he trusted in God. Okay, I may be 90 years old now, and I don't have a child, but I still believe that somehow, against all evidence, you are going to make my descendants like the stars in the sky. Wow. What faith. He trusted God. And then God, what God did is credited to him his righteousness. He brought him into his family, not based on any good things that God did, just out of God's love. It's like if a family member or a friend passed away, and unbeknownst to you, they decided to deposit a million dollars into your bank account. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Okay? You didn't see that coming. Did you earn it? You received it. It's grace. Someone graciously deposited, credited to your account more than you thought you had. So also God credits to Abraham and Sarah's account his righteousness, entrance into his family, and the promise of the covenant, all on the condition of faith. Does that sound like New Testament language to you? It certainly does to me. It goes on to say here in verse 7 and 8 of Genesis 15, God also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know 
that I will gain possession of it. Isn't this interesting? First, you have this robust statement of faith. Yeah, I believe you're going to make my descendants like the stars in the heavens, but, but God, how can I know? So he believes. He says, really? Can I trust you? Can anyone relate? Anyone else? This is the life of faith, my friends. Faith will include doubt. You don't have to be scared that you have some doubts. Just don't allow your doubts to overwhelm you, to dominate you. I'll tell you that some of the greatest times of growing in my faith have been when the faith has been tested. When I've had to go back and re-examine the evidence. When I've had to go back and say, well, I'm not sure what you're doing here, but I look at Jesus and know he's good. And Jesus is the image of the invisible God, so I'm going to look at the cross and know that I can trust you in this God. In Genesis 18, Abraham even reasons with God. Are, are you sure you're going to do what you said you're going to do here? I'm not sure if I think you should on the basis of your character. He reasons with him. And so what you see in Abraham is a man who at certain times was like an oak tree of righteousness, an oak tree of faith, but then at other times he's, uh, he just has what you might call, let's see if I can find it in here, Just a, can you see that? What's that? Just a mustard seed of faith. And last time I checked, Jesus can do something with a mustard seed of faith. Anyone? So I don't know where you are right now that you feel like, man, I got a mustard seed tree of faith, which is larger than this stage. Well, praise Jesus, give me some of yours. Okay, Or you might just have a little seed, a little mustard seed of faith. You give that to God, and God will use that. And don't be dominated by your doubts. And look up at the cross, the author of our faith, the image of God. And you say, okay, yeah, you're good, God. I can trust you. You see, my friends, salvation in every age this is a critical idea that you've got to hold on to. Salvation in any and every age is always by faith in what God revealed. And if you don't get this, you're going to have a hard time understanding much of the Old Testament. It's based on faith in what God has already revealed. And so he may have revealed more to us than he did to them at that time. We have more reasons for faith. We see that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the grave. He validated that for us in time and space and history. They didn't have that, but they believed on the basis of what they did have, and so also must we. That makes sense? Okay, so, so what God is doing here is he gets a man who's going to be an oak tree of righteousness. He's going to grow up into that, who's a man of integrity and a man of devotion and a man of faith, even when it seems like there's no good reason to have faith. And he says, I, I can't do what I'm going to do through half a man. I can't build a nation through half a man. I can't bless a community through half a man. I can't bless a neighborhood through half a woman. I can't bless a family through a half a man. I can't bless a marriage through a whatever kind of dude. I need a full man who is devoted to me. And he finds such a man in Abraham. And he says, I'm going to do something great through you. And Abraham believes. 
Let me just pause here and give a little bit of teaching because what, what's coming next in your reading plan this week is going to be perhaps, if you haven't read the Bible much, some things that might confuse you just a little bit, okay? So what, what's coming next in the Old Testament is God's going to give to Abraham this sign of the covenant called circumcision. And if you haven't read the Bible, I didn't ever read the Bible until I was 18, if you haven't read the Bible, I remember when I was 18, I read that, and I was like, huh? What's that doing in the Bible? And, and you might read it, and you say, well, that's kind of weird. And that's okay that you'd say that. That's really okay. But what that is, is much as I wear a sign of my marriage, so also God makes this people, and they are to wear a sign of God's covenant that he's going to turn them into a nation that blesses all other nations. Okay, it's a sign, it's a forerunner of what God wants to do that you would be a blessing to bless other people. Okay, don't, don't get hung up on it. Understand, it's a, it's a sign, it's a symbol, it's a marker that doesn't apply today, but applied then as he was seeking to make a nation. Let me move on. <laughs> Next, after that, yeah, you're going to see this thing called a sacrifice system. And you'd be like, what, huh? Why is there a sacrifice system in the Bible? What's that about? I mean, I know that they do some of that in Saudi Arabia or in Papua New Guinea, but that's kind of weird that I'd find it in here. What's that about? Well, here's what it's about. It's a forerunner to the idea that all of us need forgiveness, that all of us need atonement for our sins. And God provided this temporary atonement for the sins of his people as a forerunner to the final atonement in which the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world climbs up on the old rugged cross and says, it's finished. Once for all time, Christ, his righteousness for our unrighteousness as a substitute, as a sacrifice to bring you and me to God. And every single time that you see the sacrifice system in the Old Testament, you can remind yourself that's a forerunner of the one who is to come, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Or when you come to the Ten Commandments, coming pretty soon, or all the other laws and restrictions, you know what you want to feel when you come to all the different laws and restrictions of the Bible? Oh, that pulls me to my knees because I can't do it, which is the point. You can't do it. The Ten Commandments are made to give us boundaries for life, but maybe even more than that, what they're made to do is drop us to our face, out of which we say, I need you, God. I need the Creator. I need the Redeemer. I trust in you, God. Each of these. You see, salvation in every age is always by faith in what God has revealed. And so these are pointers to point us to a more robust trust in God as we see fulfilled in the New Testament. It's for this reason that we see many people who are not a part of the Israelite family of God in the Old Testament who yet become part of the family of God. How? How? By faith. So you see people like Job and a prostitute by the name of Rahab who was from Jericho, not a part of Israel, and a woman by the name of Ruth, who was a Moabite. Out of Ruth eventually comes a king by the name of 
of David. And from the King David eventually comes the king by the name of in his family lineage was a Moabite. You see, all these are forerunners to the fact that God shows no favoritism. He chooses to use one tribe to bless every other tribe, one people to bless every other people, one nation to bless the other nations of the world. But it all comes back to, do I respond to what God has revealed by faith? That's God's condition. We have the covenant and we have the condition and we go over to the New Testament and we see this restatement of God's commission to Abraham. God's commission to Abraham and also God's commission to us, which you'll see up here on the screen from Galatians chapter three. I encourage you to read this chapter at length uh, this week. You might even need to go back and read it through a couple times, but it says, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him, it was deposited into him God's righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Irregardless of whether you're from Israel or from Rome or from Nigeria or from Saudi Arabia, wherever, any nation, if you have faith in Christ as revealed, you become children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Friends, from Genesis to Revelation, this is what God is about. He's about blessing certain people that they wouldn't be stoppers of his blessing. Blessing certain people that we would be conduits of his blessing to others. Extending his mercy to you that you would extend his mercy to others. Extending justice to you that you would extend justice to those who are oppressed. Extending love to you that you extend love to others. Extending kindness to you that you extend kindness to others. Extending his power to you that you walk humbly with others. We have this five-year vision here that includes this wonderful initiative that we've just stated from Kearney to the world. And a part of the way that we're asking God to use us across the world is by this partnership that you heard about in announcements earlier this morning with a little village it's actually 100,000 people, but an area of Colombia called Magangue, Magangue, Colombia. And so since we're going from Kearney to the world, what we are saying is where is one place that Kearney E. Free is going to put its stamp for the coming decades in one area of the world that's hurting because we have been blessed more than we could possibly imagine. God, would you use us as a blessing to others? And I can't tell you how proud I was to be your pastor this last November when 330 people said, yes, I will sign up to sponsor a child in Magangue, Colombia. And dozens of others signed up to sponsor other kids in other areas of the world. Why? Because my money ain't my own. Even my money is made for me to be a blessing to others. I'm blessed to be a blessing. And now a few months in, we're getting opportunities to develop relationships well with those kids and write notes to those kids, write letters to those kids on a monthly basis. I challenge you to do that. Take 10 minutes a month to write a note to, to your kids. Invite your kids, your own kids, to, to color pictures for them and develop a relationship with them. Give some time to those kids. Do you know only 50% of sponsored kids get letters from their sponsors? It's, I tell you, it means so much to those kids. I was with a bunch of those kids in Ecuador last year, 
And some of those kids were getting letters from their sponsors and some weren't. And you could tell the difference. But our time is not our own. Do you know that? God gives us all the same amount of time. And why does he do it? Blessed to be a blessing. You think about the people that go on this short-term mission trip uh, this summer. And they're going to get outside of their comfort zone because even our comfort and our security, church, you believe this? Even our comfort and our security is not for ourselves. We're blessed to be a blessing to others even with the comfort that God has provided to us. And I think of those who are serving here in town at the healthcare clinic. Dozens fall from our church on a regular basis. And others who are uh, partnering with international students down at uh, UNK and others who are doing counseling and life coaching and care ministries and uh, life group leadership and men's ministries and women's ministries and, and children's ministries downstairs. And I can't state them all, but why are they doing it? They're not doing it because it's easy. They're not doing it even because it's fun. They're doing it because we're blessed to be a blessing. And so also this week, here's my, my challenge for you. I would ask you, what if we, 1,500 strong, maybe a little bit less this weekend, but what if we, this week, we all fell to our knees the beginning of each day, and as we get out of bed, we don't even let our feet touch the ground, we let our knees be the first thing to touch the ground, and as we fall to our knees, we simply say to God, you have blessed me so much, so much more than I could ever deserve. Who is it? that you have in mind for me today, God, to be a blessing to? Who would you have me be an influencer on today? Because God, you have blessed me so, not to be a stopper, but to be a conduit of your love that I would be a blessing to those I interact with today. Are you with me? Let's ask God's help. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to us and you rescued us when we were far from you. And we thank you, Lord, that the basic story of your scriptures has this beautiful arch to it. That you take ordinary folks whose hearts are committed to you and you say, I'll work with that. You don't look for perfection. You look for ordinary people like us who would say, yeah, I want to be God's. I want to be used of God. I give myself to him. I, I choose devotion today. I seek to walk in integrity today. And God says, I'll, I'll use that. There may be some in this room today who are longing to pursue a more single-minded faith, to be a little bit more like Abraham, to be a person of integrity who falls forward, who is contrite over their failures and says, God, I, I give myself to you. And perhaps you're in the place today that, that you would admit you've been double-minded in any way. Now's the time to confess that to God. Father, we ask that you would turn us into a single-minded people that are committed to receiving your love by faith, 
and then operating according to your power in the world. You're not looking for half-hearted men and women. You're looking for people who will give it up for you. And so I say to you, God, I, I want you. I need you to do a work in me that I'd be more devoted to you than I am even right now. I know I got a lot of work to do, God. I know I'm far from where I should be. Please forgive me for where I failed. Place my eyes on the cross of Jesus. Grant me eyes for those who need your love in word or in deed this week. And grant me courage to go after it. Grant my friends here in this room courage to go after it. We'll be careful to give you all the credit, God. Through Christ our Lord, we pray together. Would you make us a lighthouse for the kingdom? May it be.